Good morning, Great Oaks. It is great to be back with you. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Chase. I'm the executive pastor, and I've been on sabbatical for a while. So I'm glad to be back here bringing the word this morning. But before we do anything else, let's give Pastor Dave and our worship team one last hand because, man, they know how to bring us into the room this morning. As we continue this summer sermon series called Games We Play, we're looking at some common games and seeing how we maybe play some things inside those games in our own life. The first week, Paul kicked us off with Minecraft and how we are sometimes in a different reality than what the real world is and how we get so fixed in that. Last week, Tara put on her monocle and talked about what it means to build our own kingdom rather than God's and talking about the game of Monopoly. We also might have learned that we don't want to play games with Tara last week. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go back and watch the message. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite games. It is a strategy game. It is Risk. I love this game. Let me explain Risk to you real quick. I think I have, yeah, a picture of the Risk board on the screen. The main goal of Risk, no matter how many players you're playing with, three, four, five, your goal is to completely dominate the world and take out everybody else that's on the board. That is the goal of the game. And you do that by starting in a certain country or continent. Uh, hopefully you place well and you're probably hopefully in Australia. That's the best place to start one way in, one way out. My wrist players know what I'm talking about. And then as you start playing the game, you have to be able to read people. Because everyone's a different style of player. Let me explain a couple styles of how people play strategy games. Number one, you got the overly aggressive player. The player that starts round one and says, I'm going to win this game and puts the target right squarely on their back. The next player is the one who just responds. You know what? You attack me, I'll attack you. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Then there's my least favorite player, the one who just doesn't care, but you needed another player to play the game. <laughs> that, is, that is usually the worst player. One to watch out for is the one who holds a grudge after that game you played three years ago. And then there's the strategic player. That strategic player, it's the one I chase after one of B, it's because it's that player that knows, hey... You put yourself, you align yourself with that overly aggressive person because the target will always be on them and you have a way in for the first couple rounds. And the whole goal of this is to dominate the world just you. Not you and a partner, just you. And maybe the reason why this is one of my favorite games is I fully believe that if Jesus was playing board games with us, this would be one of his favorites. Now hear me out. Hear me out. Think about this. The last words that Jesus left us with in the Gospels is, hey, go out into all the nations, taking the good news, baptizing them, all right, running over the kingdom. See? World domination, all right? And you might well say, well, Chase, but, but Jesus wasn't about, like, manipulation and, like, conquering that way. All right, I say semantics to that, all right. But all fun aside... When playing risk, we can have the best laid plan, but something might happen to you. No matter what plan you have, 
failure might happen. All because the roll of the dice, all because the other people you're playing with. That's why today we're going to mainly talk about one aspect in life, and that aspect is failure. What do we do with that? The question today is, what do we do when plans fail? Now let's talk about plans for a second. Before we talk about failure, let's talk about plans. Who are my planners in the room? Who are like, hey, we map out every week, we map out the month, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for my house, writing down everything on the calendar, that's me. Where are my planners at? Okay? Where are my people that if you spend 100 hours trained to be a planner, you still couldn't do it? All right, my go with the flow people, that's, that's good, all right? So let's talk about this, because before we can get into failure, I think we need to be honest and upfront with who we are and how we are as Americans today. There was a great study done by ABC News where it says this, two-thirds of Americans say they don't have a life plan. What that means is they haven't sat down and said, all right, hey, here's where we want to be in 10 years. Here's where we want our family to be. Here's where we want my career to be. They don't have a life plan. But on the inverse of that, 88% of Americans use a calendar for work and home and stay scheduled. Okay, there's a big truth that rings out in those. We're busy and have no idea where we're going. Who feels like that? Yeah. Some of you are like, Chase, I got three kids. I have no idea what I'm doing. All I know is soccer practice is today at like 1.30, so please hurry it up. Let's have win some lunch. Some of us just don't. We just, we just, hey, the day is like this. Here's this minute. Here's this minute. And what we do with this church is we start playing the game, and we're just reacting. Oh, this is hitting me, so I need to do this. This is hitting me, so I need to do this. You become that risk player that's just reacting. Or maybe some of you planners are here, are they overly aggressive? And just, hey, I got our next three years detailed, hour by hour mapped out on how we keep these kids alive and how we make it. But you have no idea what 10 years looks like. We can't talk about what happens when plans fail if we don't know what planning looks like. So my question first is, what is your plan? What is your plan? If you relate with these stats, maybe you need to hear this more than you think today. So let's pray. Bow with me. Really, Father God, we are just so thankful to gather in the room this morning. God, as we talk about a fun board game, but honestly, as we look into Scripture, may it be your words and not mine. God, when we talk about plans, may we remember your plans. So God, be with, our, be with our time this morning. May the Holy Spirit move. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So, let's ask this question. What have you failed at? I'm going to hit you with a hard one real quick. What have you failed at in your life? Maybe it's something you planned to do and it didn't get accomplished. So let's start easy because I know we don't want to like open up the deep stuff first. Looking, like, looking back at this last week or two, what is something you planned to do and just failed to execute? You just did not get to it. No, man, I had every intention on mowing the yard this week, but the rain happened, and that was that day to do it, and I'm like, no. What did you plan this week that maybe you failed on an easy level? 
Man, I plan on getting all this stuff done at work today. I plan on getting all these things done. Better yet, maybe you planned on spending more time with your kids this week and that didn't happen. Want to make more summer memories before they go back to school. Going a little deeper, maybe your, your job's just not going well. You feel like you're failing at your job. Younger people in the room, maybe you feel like you're failing at school, whether it's college. I mean, you're taking summer classes, trying to figure out how to get extra credit hours. Maybe you're failing in a relationship, whether that's a marriage, being a parent, a grandparent, and you just don't feel like you're where you need to be. Maybe you're a believer in the room and you're like, I am not doing a good job with the gospel. I have this job and I have every intention to talk to people about Jesus the best way I know how, but I don't do it day in and day out and I feel like I'm failing at carrying out the gospel. Now, I'm not going to leave you down here in this moment. So if you hear only one thing I say this morning, I need you to hear this. Failure is a vital part of our story. Failure is a vital part of your story, and it's a vital part of mine. The problem with us today, church, is we look at failure like it's some horrific thing, and we try to avoid it at all cost. And we don't realize the strengths that failure can bring. All right. <laughs> AV team, if that's me, I might need a backup up here. All right, so today I want to talk about a character of Scripture that maybe some of you don't know about. We're going to talk about a guy named John Mark, all right? And we're going to talk about John Mark today. And some of you might not even know who John Mark is, and if that's true, that's totally fine. Let me give you a little bit of a synopsis of who John Mark is in my words. John Mark is a punk kid, age 15, 16, and... Let me tell you about John Mark. He has all this intention in the world to want to serve Jesus. Thinks he's going to be, hey, I'm going to charge the mound and I'm going to take it. I'm going to go out in the world. I'm going to take everything for Jesus. I want in this. We also know about John Mark that he has a relationship with Barnabas. If you don't know who Barnabas is, he's one of uh, Paul's companions in the book of Acts. Travels with him. Great evangelistic speaker. So let's look at who John Mark is. Here's some scripture we have on John Mark. So we're going to be in the book of Acts today. As we go to Acts chapter 12, you can go there on your app or look on the screen. And the context you need to know about the verse we're getting ready to read is Peter has just been, the apostle Peter has just been rescued by an angel. was in chains, was just rescued. And after he was rescued, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. Some of you might be like, well, geez, Chase, that's a lot on John Mark, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Peter went to his house, all right? And John Mark, we know this, is from a Christian family, and his mother's home has significance. This most likely, according to most theologians, is the house of Jesus' upper room. So John Mark would have been around for a lot. The next thing we know is this, later in chapter 12, when Barnabas and Saul, all right, so this is Paul, but before he got his name changed to Paul, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. So now we know that John Mark actually gets to go with Paul and Barnabas. This is going to be the first missionary journey in the book of Acts as Paul and Barnabas are leaving. 
And for John Mark, as I said, wants to just take the mound. All is good. I'm traveling with Paul and Barnabas. Talk about great preachers. Talk about spiritual giants. Woo, I'm excited. And here's what we know. Verse 4 of Acts 13 in the next chapter. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as the assistant. Man, age 15, 16, assistant Paul and Barnabas? He is going to be like a head apostle someday. And what happens next in this story is, is, is Paul encounters a false teacher that's leading people away from Jesus. And Paul strikes him with blindness. And so here's the next thing we learn about John Mark after this happens. In verse 13, Paul and his companions left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. All right? That's what we know about John Mark so far in the book of Acts. Cool story, right? I know. You meet him, becomes an assistant, travels to Paul and Barnabas, and just like deuces, I'm out. We got nothing else. Scripture doesn't say what happened. Doesn't say what happened to him. A lot of people think he got homesick. Some people actually say, hey, actually, because Paul became the leader and not his cousin or, or Uncle Barnabas, he kind of got upset about that, but we don't know why. But all we know is this young kid with all these ambitions fails. Had this plan. I'm going to travel with Paul and Barnabas. I'm taking the world for the cause of Christ. And just up and leaves? Because things weren't going his way? You know, we don't know much on that story at this moment, but I get that. I understand this story a little bit. And actually, every pastor can relate to this story. Let me tell you about a time many years ago uh, when I first started my undergrad degree at Bible college. I was the ripe age of 19, and I got asked to go be the supply preacher for a small church in Oklahoma. What that means is I was actually the main communicator week in and week out at 19. Walked in this church, and I'm like, all right, I've got 40 people, maybe 38. How do I make this the next big thing? Next mega church, here we go. All right, plan A, I'm here, check. All right, B. And so what I did was, I'm like, all right, how do I do this? I got a couple buddies together. I'm like, all right, we need a worship team. They're singing like hymns by Randy Travis. Let's mix this up. All right. Let's get a full band up here. This is going to be the best small church you've ever been at in your life. And my ambition and my plan was doomed for failure at the beginning because of pride, but also because it's not God's. Because my eyes were not on the right thing. And what I was doing was I was being that risk player. The game I was playing was I was just reacting. Saw a problem, I reacted. Saw a problem, I reacted. Saw a problem, I acted. Here's what we're going to do. Maybe that's something that John Mark was doing and just didn't want to do it. C.S. Lewis says this, 
failures, repeated failures, are fingerposts on the road to achievement. The next time we hear about John Mark is in Acts chapter 15. Now, Acts chapter 15 is a passage I know myself and Paul have both preached on here at Great Oaks. And what you need to know about Acts 15, I'm not going to re-preach those sermons, is this. Acts 15, there's a chance for the church to completely split. They're talking about the law, and they're talking about salvation, and they're asking, hey, is this required for salvation? Is there anything else outside of believing in Jesus required for salvation? Peter, Paul, no, there's not. Why, why, why do this? And they actually save the church from splitting. But the end of that chapter brings this. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued their work with them. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Okay. Big picture. Just save the church from splitting, and here's what we got for some resolve. Paul comes with a plan. Hey, Barnabas, let's go back to all the churches we've been at and see how they're doing. I got a strategic plan here. That's the game I'm playing. I'm going to be strategic. Barnabas is like, dude, awesome plan, but I got one better for you. Let's do what you just said and take this guy with us. And Paul, are you kidding me? What's wrong with you? This guy? I get it, he's family or whatever to you. He abandoned us. And actually, when we see this word in Scripture, it says deserted them. The word in the Greek is apostate. Paul's literally saying he abandoned us and the cause. Now, we don't have this in Scripture. But what we do know is that the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. And Barnabas is just that ultra-encouraging person. Do you know how Barnabas could have responded to Paul? He could have responded with, wait, you don't want to take a chance on John Mark? You mean like I did on you when you were killing a bunch of people, but I still let you meet the apostles? That's what he could have said. Because that's who Barnabas was to Paul. He was originally the first he was the head of this team until God spoke favor on Paul. And then all of a sudden, Paul is now leading this team. This disagreement is so rough, they decide to separate. Paul says, no, here is the plan. I have strategically thought about it. That's the game I'm playing. And the game that Barnabas is playing is, no, no. This kid's got promise, and we can develop him. Guys, that's why one of our values here at Great Oaks is unending development. Barnabas saw this in John Mark. So what happens? The first thing we need to know is this. Guys, conflict is not failure. It's not. Barnabas and Paul are having this huge conflict. If you can imagine for a second, John Mark's probably present and like, oh, man. I'm splitting up the band. Could you imagine the feeling he had? Like, this is the stones, man, of the gospel. And I'm breaking them up. So they have this conflict. 
An adjustment is made. So let me tell you how this conflict could have been failure. How it could have been failure is Barnabas could have left there being like, man, what an arrogant jerk Paul is. I'm done with this, Jesus. This is who you want to do? This is what you want? I'm done. I, I... No. Paul could have been like, man, God, why do you give me this softy that sees the best in everyone? We have a mission. I'm done with this. I, I can't work with this person. I can't work with these people. Done. But here's how God uses it. Starting in verse 39 of Acts 15, the second half of that verse. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Yeah. There was a failure in their relationship. There was a failure in some personality quirks there. A little bit of pride got in. But church, sometimes, amid failure, we just need to let God work. We just need to let God work. Because let me give you the full story about who John Mark is and why unending development is so important. The Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, when he's talking to another church, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark, referring to John Mark. The Apostle Peter refers to him as his son, which tells us two things. Number one, he's extremely important to Peter. And number two, most likely, Peter had a part to play in his conversion. Remember how I said that John Mark's house, his mom's house, is probably the upper room where Jesus met and because he was so close to Peter, because he was around the disciples with all this was going on, because of that young punk kid, you know what we have today? The Gospel of Mark. Because if you don't know it, John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark. You might be like, well, yeah, but man, look at him and Paul. Done. Paul did not like that kid, never again. Some of the last words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy. Verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Had they not let God work, John Mark might not have fully developed. He got to spend time with Barnabas. Paul got to go play the game, being that strategic person and seeing to make sure the church's needs were met. Barnabas got to love on someone and take him under his wing and show him some other churches. And Paul saw the value in him. So much so, his closing words, for it will be helpful for me in my ministry. He's an asset to my ministry. Remember what I said, the C.S. Lewis quote, failures, repeated failures are finger posts on the road to achievement. Yeah. John Mark failed. Honestly, you can look at the Apostle Paul and say, hey, he kind of failed. Barnabas a little less. 
And you might look at me and say, Chase, that's a great quote by C.S. Lewis, but he's a great renowned author, probably has a lot of money, success. Does he really know failure himself? Let me give you some background on C.S. Lewis. Multiple times was denied entry into Oxford because he did not pass the assessments. Multiple times. Kept going. Kept going at it. Only got in because of World War I and the shortage of people actually entering Oxford. The only reason he got in. So the whole question today with the sermon is, what do we do when our plans fail? Church, how do we handle failure? Number one, we assess. You assess the situation. You ask questions. Why did this happen? Maybe some of you, the reason that something's failed in your life is because it's not of God. That is not today's sermon. That was last week's sermon on building your own kingdom instead of God's. So go back and listen to that. But maybe sometimes failures happen because what we are doing is not where God wants us to be. And as we assess failure, maybe the reason we're failing is because we're not putting boundaries in our life. Maybe we're not being disciplined enough. Or my favorite, maybe we don't have the patience. And that's what we need to work on. Or maybe we're trying to succeed at the wrong things. Putting 60 plus hours in in a job that has no eternal value. Francis Chan says this, our greatest fears should not be failure, but of succeeding at things that don't really matter. That's hard. As an achiever in this, I am an achiever. That's what I love to do. I love hitting goals. I love hitting marks. That's just who I am. My My competitive level, it says on the screen, was 11 of 10. All right? Had I known that Chris was going to put 11 of 10, I'd be like, mine's 12. (laughs) But for those of us in the room that have that, it is so easy for us to get tunnel visioned. Assess the situation. Maybe we're the problem. Second thing, what do we do? We regroup. We regroup. Surround ourselves with people in our lives that can speak truth into us. That's something we do at Great Oaks called Life Group. Dive into the Word. See what God has already spoken about it. Trust Him. Be patient. And then step three, we act. We assess, we regroup, we act. Do something. We see this happened with Paul and Barnabas. What did they do? They assessed situation. Paul was like, no, you're wrong. Barnabas was like, no, you are. What did they do? Couldn't come to an agreement. They regrouped. They found other people, went their own ways. They acted. And because they acted, instead of one missionary team spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, we now have two. God uses this failure for the glory of the kingdom. John Mark does the same thing. We don't know it in Scripture, but obviously he still wants to be part of this. He comes back to Barnabas again, we know in Acts 15, because Barnabas wants him considered. So he failed, he assessed the situation. He regroups, he goes to Barnabas. And then he follows 
through this time. And thank God he did because of the things we have from him. Assess, regroup, and act. I mentioned earlier how you know, it was easy for me to fail early on in ministry because all I did was act. I never assessed, I never regrouped, I just acted constantly. Here's what needs to be next. Here's what needs to be next. Here's what needs to be next. Next. Some of us in here are caught up on failure. And because we're so scared of failure, we choose not to act. And the problem with that church is this. Pertaining to the gospel, when we choose to do nothing, you will automatically fail. Because of your fear. So earlier on, I asked you what your failures are. What are we doing with them? How are we handling them? Are you assessing them? Are you praying about them? Are you regrouping? Are you talking to others and saying, hey, what do you think? Godly people speaking into your life. Are you acting? Are you taking that next step forward? Trying to just keep moving on? Because the goal is, the game we need to play is being that strategic player that trusts God. Failure is going to happen, and it's a vital part of our story. In fact, failure is the start of each and every one of us's redemption story. God knows failure. You know how God knows failure? He made this world, and he made it great. He made humanity, and it wasn't just good. It was very good. Satan comes along. Humanity falls. Failure happens. God assesses the situation. And the Israelite people struggled time and time again. God regroups, and he acts, and he sends us his son for redemption. God took our failure and redeemed us anyway. I don't know what you're struggling with right now in life. I don't know what you think you failed at. I don't know what you think you're not good enough with. All I know is this. Whatever it is, God says, don't worry about it. I got it. I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to redeem you. And maybe here this morning, you don't know the redemption story because you're like, Chase, I'm failing at life and I'm tired of it, but I don't know Jesus. There's an opportunity for you this morning because I want you to know that God wants to redeem those failures. That God wants you to know that you are enough. Don't just listen to me and hear you say that you're enough. God wants you to know that. So on the sidewalls this morning, there'll be a couple prayer workers not serving communion. Go talk to them. They want to pray with you and just speak to your life that God loves you. If that's some of your wrestling this morning, do not waste that opportunity. The next thing we're going to do, as it is the second Sunday of the month, is we are going to take communion this morning. We're going to come to the table. And we get to have, symbolically, remembering that God has redeemed our story by the blood and the body broken of our Lord Jesus. So as the band gets ready to come out here and play, you're going to go to a couple stations around here, and you're going to remember that. And maybe, just maybe, you'll stop dwelling on your failure. Let God use it as he always has, because we are his people. 
and he has redeemed us. So church, start playing the game strategically and knowing that God is somebody you can trust always. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we, just, we thank you. God, as we come to the table this morning, we thank you for your sacrifice of your son. God, maybe this morning someone in this room needs to risk it for you. Maybe someone for the first time this morning says, you know what, I need to give my life to Jesus. And I want to do that this morning. If that is you this morning in this room, do me a favor. Do not leave here without talking to someone. And maybe this morning you just want your commitment to be known so my prayer workers are looking out. And if you want to make that decision for the first time, just stick your hand up so my prayer workers can notice who you are because they want to have a conversation with you. If this is the first time you want to make that commitment, do that this morning. The next thing, God, as we come to the table, we thank you for the sacrifice. May we continue to remember that sacrifice daily, that we are redeemed children of you. God, you are amazing. And we thank you for redeeming our failures. We pray all this in your name. Amen.